This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I am Claudia Kronel. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. This week, we're bringing you a deep introduction into organizational purpose, what it is, how to use it effectively. We've got two guests who are going to take us through the mistakes organizations make, how to pick up your purpose, and why you should be thinking about the long game rather than focusing on the purpose of the month. Joining me today on the show, I have Laura. I'm Laura Quinn, Senior Strategy Director and Private Sector Lead at Purpose New York. And Elena. I'm Elena Crystal, Global Head of Strategy at Purpose Europe. So what is a brand purpose and what value does it have for organizations? Maybe it's a question to both of you. What do we even mean when we talk about purpose? The way I think about it and I think we think about it at purpose is really thinking about what is the positive impact a brand is adding to the world beyond its profit. And we've seen the evolution of purpose over time. So we've moved from corporate philanthropy to CSR to sustainability. And I think now when we look at the way brands are behaving and the way brands will start to behave in the future even more so, we're really thinking about brand purpose in terms of not just mitigating the negative impacts of your operations in a kind of sustainability lens, but really having a point of view and making an impact on some of those bigger external issues that the world's trying to solve and figuring out how do you play a role in doing that? It sounds so easy, right? So why is it difficult to define it? I think it's difficult to define it because it can take so many forms within an organization. So I think At a baseline level, a lot of organizations might think that purpose is sort of your mission or values, right? Something that you can pretty succinctly and easily write on a slide or write on a poster or put on your website. And that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think what makes it more challenging to wrap your arms around is actually when it pervades the rest of your organization and how you actually activate and live that purpose through your supply chain through your innovation pipeline, through the ways that you hire and nurture talent within your organization, through the places where you choose to put media and the types of organizations you choose to partner with. And so to Laura's point around the sort of outgrowth of corporate sustainability and CSR programming, I think where we've seen brand purpose really build from that is a lot of those were predicated on finances. And I think the work that we're doing at Purpose and the work that Laura and I champion a lot is around what else can you do beyond money? What other power does your organization have that it can activate to create the most good in the world? So I guess one of the big issues that we can elaborate further on is going to be how do you truly bring to life in an organization a statement or purpose statement and not just have it, like you said, nice poster on the wall or I saw some neon lights on a wall, which are equally pretty, but probably don't say anything about how people behave and operate in an organization. You mentioned CSR and sustainability. When I listen to conversations, people always mix these topics. So how are they different and why? I think sustainability and CSR these days are fairly interchangeable, in my opinion. They're both really thinking about corporate citizenship and social and environmental protection from a business perspective. And I think the other phrase that we're hearing a lot of at the moment is ESG, obviously, which is the encapsulation of all that added into that, the governance aspect, which is running your business in a responsible way. I put all of those things in the bracket of businesses kind of making sure that they are doing the right thing 
And that is incredibly valuable. You know, it's sustainability. And we're seeing such a high proportion of kind of the biggest companies in the world having their sustainability reports. It's something I feel now is being taken very seriously. Most business leaders at this point are fairly cognizant that sustainability in ESG is critical and that they have an obligation from a business and a societal perspective to do that. Where it gets really interesting at this point is what's next. And one of the problems with sustainability is it's quite technical. There's a lot of science underpinning it, as there should be. But turning that into consumer-facing stories that people really, really engage with, and, and these are some of the problems that we tackle on an everyday basis. How do you talk about regenerative soil practices to young consumers who are just buying a product in a supermarket? That's not a cool conversation. <laughs> that's not fun. What's the next step of that? How do you turn that into something that's really powerful and a really powerful story for people? Is a fair summary to say, so moving beyond having a CSR sustainability agenda in a separate department and taking it to something to the next level to a conversation that touches all areas of the business and the relationship with the consumer? For me, the next step, yeah, is going beyond. So I think of CSR and sustainability as mitigating the impacts that your business creates in the world. What we want to look at is go outside that. There's a whole ton of issues that the world's trying to deal with, and you have a bunch of power to be a real influencer on those issues. As Elena said, through your marketing, through the way that you engage your consumers, through the choices you make around your packaging. And it's not just mitigating impact. It's like, how can we actually start to create innovative new solutions to the biggest issues that the world is facing? The kind of a capitalistic leadership is over. We got to think beyond that and just making business and what we do with the business, taking it to the next level. We already said it's not so easy to define purpose and how to really bring it to life. Do you have examples of good and bad organizations who work on purpose, who maybe take it to the next level and truly embody purpose as their operations, and maybe others that have used it more as, as a makeup of something different. I always get very excited around this time of year when it comes to brand purpose, because International Women's Day is one of those days that really brings brands out of the woodwork in the most fascinating ways. And some brands, to their credit, get it really right. And some brands just, it's a complete swing and a miss. So I think in terms of brands who get it really right, one of the brands that we work with and, and who I massively admire is IKEA. And the way that IKEA has set out a people and planet and profit strategy that is very much rooted in how can they do the most good rather than reduce the most harm. And they started looking at that really closely when it came to climate, but now I love how they have extended that into other arenas such as human rights and equality as well. And so for International Women's Day this year, they released an online game that is designed to promote equal household chores in the home. It's called 50-50, and it's all about how to ensure that your relationship, whomever you're partnered with in your home, is equal. And so you can play the game side by side on social and sort of test out how equal your partnership might be. And it's really smart because it's highly participatory. Anyone can get involved in it. It makes the point, but in a way that feels really authentic to the IKEA tone of voice. It's obviously COVID safe. You can do it at home on your social channels. And it's really linked to the IKEA brand positioning, which is all about home. 
right? So it really starts by locating the issue in the home, which is, of course, the issues that we're seeing in the home throughout COVID of men and women facing down sort of unequal distribution of childcare, household chores, whatever it might be. And we're seeing how that is exacerbated within COVID. On the flip side of that, on International Women's Day this year, you had Burger King, who wanted, I think, to launch a really interesting initiative around getting more women into the field of being a chef. Because despite generations of women being in the kitchen and being really savvy with cooking, very few chefs themselves are actually women. It's the field where women are underrepresented. However, Burger King decided to start that campaign with a tweet and a press ad that ran with the headline, Women Belong in the Kitchen. And unfortunately for Burger King, that went very, very badly. And they ended up pulling the tweet. And I think they pulled the press ad as well or have stopped running it because the backlash was just astonishing of people going, how can you be playing into this trope? So unfortunately, with an attempt to be kind of glib, they lost the chance to actually make the point that it is preposterous that women are underrepresented in the field of chefery. Thinking about when we were talking about how do you integrate this across your business? And and I think when you're trying to avoid the mistakes of not being authentic or not being credible, it really comes from the heart of the business. And and one company we work with is Danone. And I really admire Danone because they are, in fact, the biggest B Corp in the world. And we're a B Corp in our company. And it's super difficult to do the B Corp assessment, right? So to do that on the scale of a global business with multiple different subsidiaries and multiple manufacturing plants and all the different things that they have is kind of amazing. But what that actually does is it's changing from the inside, right? It's making them into a leader, not just on an issue that they care about, but on the very heart of the matter that business needs to act differently. And that we see them doing it. And it's a long, long journey that's not come down into every single brand of theirs. But we're starting to see how they are taking that philosophy and putting it into every single piece of the business that they do from how they source products to DEI, to their marketing, um, to their product innovation of reusing fruit that would have gone to waste in their products. There's just this like incredible range of activity. So I love that from the fact of it being very deeply embedded. And I'd say that, you know, the flip side of that, and it's one that we've talked about a lot, I think we've seen a lot is the Pepsi commercial with the police protests. It exposed Pepsi as a brand that hasn't got a history of embedding and promoting social justice issues. And therefore, it kind of became a sort of non-credible appropriation of that problem because they hadn't done the work and embedded themselves in that space. And I think that's a really good cautionary tale for any businesses who are wanting to talk about some of the things they care about. What's also interesting about the Pepsi example is that is a really unfortunate and misguided attempt to provide the brand as the solution to the problem. But no one believes that Pepsi is the solution to police brutality. I think what's much more interesting is how your business can be the solution to a problem. And that might be something that exists outside of communications. That might be something you can't even really communicate about, but you are able to use your business as a way to solve some of the world's greatest challenges, which I think is a lot of the ethos behind things like becoming a B Corp or really living into a brand purpose. What I'm noticing when you talk about examples, we talk about big corporations, we talk about large organizations. Is there a difference that you can observe? Is it easier for larger or smaller companies to really embed purpose or is it the other way around? I think it's equally easy in both ways. With a larger business, you have more scale. 
So the opportunity to embed that purpose in a way that's going to create maximum amount of change is huge. Your workforce is going to be larger. Your supply chain is going to be larger. You likely have more partners who you engage with. You carry more clout. So you're able to galvanize relationships with other organizations who might think similarly. But if you're a smaller business and you're just starting out or you're breaking into the marketplace, Purpose is actually a great way to both differentiate your brand and also set your business up with purpose at the heart of the business model. Laura and I recently gave a presentation on this topic to some small business owners and female founders. And one of the things we talked about with that group is if you're starting a brand or a business from scratch, you can really think about what that purpose is from the heart of your business and then integrate that into all the different arms of your business as you build it. So Thinks is a great example of this, right? The period pants, period underwear. That is a brand that started from purpose at its heart, which is to say, A, menstruation shouldn't be taboo. It's ridiculous that it is. And B, we're also going to rethink the way that women interact with their periods and provide different products and services that enable them to do that. That then permeates through the brand's communications, through the way they think about their supply chain, through the way that they think about the new products that they bring to market. They've recently launched a whole range of products targeted at teens, another range of products targeting the elderly when it comes to incontinence. So they're starting from a a heart of purpose. So the scale might be smaller, but the opportunity to shape that as you go is huge. And additionally, you don't have any legacy, right? The examples you gave where I think the intention was right, but the execution was a little bit misguided, so to say, maybe there may be some legacy you need to deal with that causes you these mistakes, if I listen to you correctly. Yeah, I think legacy businesses do have a big challenge on that especially when a lot of startups and smaller companies are still run by the founders. And therefore, you have that kind of natural passion and the decision making is a bit quicker. But we've seen so many big legacy companies really, really take big steps. Unilever, obviously, with the sustainable living plan, Paul Pullman's efforts there, huge turnaround for one of the biggest companies in the world. So definitely have a different set of challenges. But as Elena said, it's not an either or, it's definitely a, there's a way to do this and it's very possible. It's just, it's a tough road. It's a transformation and that's never going to be easy. So maybe let's drill into that example a little bit. How does that really look like when you start as Unilever, for example, to deliver your purpose authentically? And how did it look like for Unilever, if, if you know? I can't speak for Unilever directly. What we do think about generally is what is the order? What's the sequencing of how to get to a purpose and implement it authentically? And all of that, in my opinion, starts with really listening. How do businesses run, right? It's about results and speed and action and efficiency. That's the culture that kind of keeps a business running, keeps it on its toes. When you get into an issue space, it's very easy to go into that space and be like, right, we're going to make action. We're going to do stuff. We're going to get results. We're going to make things happen. And actually, there are thousands or tens of thousands of people and organizations who are already in that issue space, already doing that work. So the first step is calm down a second, really go in there and listen humbly and openly and know that you imposing your culture in what could be very, very challenging, difficult spaces with vulnerable groups involved isn't necessarily the right right way to do it. So start by listening, start by being humble, start by really understanding the ecosystem that you're about to fall into. What I can observe as well, listening, you can make that an easy step if you listen to the people you want to listen to. So who do you need to really listen to to do this right? I think with the ecosystem, I think first and foremost, it's about what do your employees want? 
What does your workforce want? I think that that's really important because often those voices can go unheard for a long period of time if the C-suite has sort of lost touch with that audience. But often the very best ideas can come from the workforce itself and from the grassroots in order to come up to the grass tops. So I think listening to your employees is paramount. As Laura mentioned, partnering with the right organizations who have an extensive experience in the issue space is equally as important because they have been through the ringer on this. They understand the long-term change that needs to take place. They understand how power is held within an ecosystem of an issue area and who could the allies be and who might the detractors be and who are the neutrals that you might be able to sway. And they'll have an understanding of the gaps that need to be filled and how your business might be able to fill it. And that's a big piece of work that we tend to do as well when we start on any project is looking at what is the shape of the ecosystem? How is power held within that ecosystem? What are the gaps that need to be filled? And then how can an organization fill it? I think it's also really important to take the long view when it comes to starting with a brand purpose and embedding that into your business. It's part of what Unilever did really successfully is to set out the sustainable living plan as a minimum 10-year vision rather than a one-year vision, which obviously would not have been achieved in one year's time, but really going, we're in this for the long haul. The founder of IKEA had the same sort of mindset. He wrote a manifesto of a different vision for the future, and that has powered the company for decades. Even Elon Musk, you know, love him or hate him, whatever you might think about him as a person, there is an ethos and a long-term vision behind what he's created for Tesla, and it powers why they build the machines that they do and how that business will likely diversify as it comes. So taking the long view is really important when it comes to a brand purpose. This isn't a two-year strategy. It is a long-term vision. And we really encourage at the beginning to translate that into, as Elena said, what we sometimes call kind of an impact narrative. What's the goal 10 years from now? What we see a lot of companies doing and, and a lot of brands doing is issue space. Let's do a partnership here and a thing there and something for Earth Day. And there's a lot of sporadic stuff that doesn't add up to that vision that Elena was talking about. So having that vision from the top of the company What's the goal here? And it doesn't have to be science-based targets. It's like, what world do you want to see in 10 years? Where are you going? Is there something you want to eliminate? Is there a policy you want to get past? Do you want every child in the world to X? Whatever that thing is, be single-minded about that vision and keep drawing on that narrative every time. You want all of your initiatives to really build up to one big thing. And that's going to give your team and your staff or your employees around the world, the different brands, their vision for what they need to be working on as well. That vision, I think, is a really exciting and interesting part. And then you get into, great, we've got the vision, we've listened to everyone, we're feeling good about it. Then you get into the fun part of what are we going to do? Internal actions, what can we change inside our business? External actions, what can we do in the world? Who can we support? Who can we ally with? What activities can we uplift? Where can we innovate and do things that are not happening in this space right now? We've heard from enough people that we can be a real value add in this space. And that's where it gets really interesting. And, and of course, then I'll let Elena speak more about this, but that's where the real storytelling power comes. Once you've really started to do action that is grounded on a strong foundation and has a goal attached to it and is authentic and has great partners. Yeah, so storytelling. What is the role of storytelling in this? I, I assume it's actually important already for the so-called impact narrative, but I guess the way you work on purpose has some impact as well in the implementation. Storytelling is the chance where you get to translate your purpose for 
your audience or for the people around the world who you want to connect to on an emotional level. And I think what sometimes happens is storytelling is where brands stop. So they go, I have released my beautiful two-minute ad. It lays out my purpose. I have done a brilliant job. I'm very excited about this. That is great, right? Perception change and using mass media to change perception is a huge and impactful role that a business can play. And yet, there is so much beyond that. And I think that's where we also start to look at the activation of this, right? So it's not just about the narrative storytelling in the mass media channels in a way that leverages your typical TV, YouTube, maybe a bit of press, but actually going, what are you going to do to address the structural inequities that pervade in the issue area space that you're impacting? I was in conversation recently with a brand from an oral care point of view. And what's interesting about oral care when you dig into that is, yes, there is a sort of baseline issue of children not brushing their teeth enough and what that could mean for their oral hygiene later on in their life. But if you start to look at oral care and and oral hygiene throughout the globe, you start to get into much deeper structural inequalities, access to clean water, access to the proper equipment that you need to be able to actually brush your teeth in a sanitary way, a propensity towards usage of alcohol and tobacco, which we of course know has a really negative impact on the teeth themselves. So it's about looking beyond that sort of initial storytelling of isn't it important or doesn't it matter that everyone in the world is able to have access to oral care and also going, how am I, how is my brand, how is my business going to shore up these inequities and partner with the right people so that we can actually start to move the dial on this issue area space. Another great example of this is Dove Soap, right? So they have been running the campaign for real beauty since 2004, an absolute game change when it comes to perception and the way in which we visualize women's bodies in advertising. They have completely reshaped what that world looks like. And the body positivity movement, I think, can thank Dove for a lot of the work that they've done. This year, or I should say last year, they decided to get more deliberate about actually closing some structural inequities when it comes to beauty. And in the US, they got very involved with the Crown Act, which is in a a piece of legislation on the table that is all around reducing hair discrimination for women of color. They helped get that act passed in the House of Representatives. I believe it's now on its way to the Senate. So that is an act that Dove is taking to really start to close structural inequities around beauty, which is perhaps in the long term, bigger than the broadcasting work that they are also doing. That sounds so easy when you talk about it, because we've obviously observed how well you can do it. Yet I feel organizations may not always be equipped to do this. You were talking of choosing the right partner to support you in this, but I guess also it's What kind of talent do you need in an organization? Who do you need to put on these kind of initiatives? What people do you need to hire? Maybe you can elaborate a bit to that, like how organizations need to set themselves up to be successful besides choosing the right partner. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there's probably many different answers to this. One thing I've learned consulting for dozens and dozens of companies is they're all set up differently. So there's no kind of set cookie cutter response to this one. We see these initiatives running out of CSR and sustainability, sometimes out of corporate comms, sometimes out of marketing, sometimes out of policy or government affairs, right? So where we see the big problems is when people who have never worked in a social impact space before and whose primary job is probably selling shampoo or yogurt or something else, 
their skill is being a CPG marketer. And suddenly they're having them posed and I was, oh no, you have to do purpose marketing. And it's really problematic because you're basically asking someone to do something they have zero experience in and is kind of tangential to the job that they're actually doing. So I do think that there is a need within the 10-year plan to be thinking about how do we restructure, whether it's our marketing or our comms team, to bring in a diverse range of skills. We know we need people who are great at digital. We need people who are great at point of sale, at distribution. In that mix, we need people who understand impact and equity, who have worked with partner organizations before. And of course, there's a huge range of consultancies and other organizations that you can bring in at the right moments who have the specialisms that you need. But I do think there's a bit of a mindset shift to think we can't just take people who've been brilliant at the job they've been doing for 20 years and go, oh, now you have to solve the world's problems as well. Like, good luck out there, because that's just not, (laughs) not a helpful approach. And I've seen a lot of very good thoughtful, nice marketers just wither under that pressure because it's just not what they're good at. But I definitely think there's a need to think about this skill set as one of the many skill sets that a business needs to have in its armory right now. This is becoming an inevitability that you're going to have to really up your game and up your skill set on this space. Yeah. Organizationally speaking, what I have seen to be quite successful is to actually start to embed sustainability or purpose as a role within teams. So rather than having a separate sustainability department that then needs to come and consult on whatever brand you might be working with, what would it look like for someone in that brand team to actually have the training and the skill set necessary to be able to deliver on things like sustainability and human rights and equity and purpose overall. So I think it's a combination of, as Laura's mentioned, training up those who are already on the team and then embedding people in the team who really have that expertise rather than hoping that someone from another department will be able to come in and consult on it, so to speak. I think there's a shift in what kind of skills and interests the different generations bring into a company. Do you think it's been easier to find people who are willing to take this kind of role or who are already knowledgeable about it compared to, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that? I definitely think so. I think that is a combination of factors. Some of it is just the sort of natural inclination that millennials and Gen Z have, but also towards a broader life purpose. Before my time at Purpose, I worked in creative advertising for 10 years. And what I saw over the 10 years that I worked in the industry is more and more young people would join and after a year or two would go, do you know what? I'm going to go do something different because I don't know that I want to sell things or I'm more concerned about mitigating the negative impacts of capitalism rather than promoting them. And advertising has always been one of those careers that people look at and go, gosh, that's amazing. How cool that could be to work in. And now I think the industry is suffering from a bit of a crisis of conscience because young people aren't gravitating towards the industry in quite the same way. So I think there is that sort of larger search for life's true meaning or life's purpose that also comes with the millennial and Gen Z generations who have largely been raised by boomer and Gen X parents who have encouraged them to seek out happiness more so than even success, right? And happiness being this all-important benchmark that they're seeking out. I also think there's more training out there for learning how to deal with these topics. There's more books being written about these topics. There are more podcasts out in the world about these topics, such as this one. 
there's just more out there in the world for people to access, to be able to think differently about how to approach business, how to approach marketing, et cetera. It's higher awareness and it's also a cultural shift and mindset shift in the generation that is getting into organizations now. What a great opportunity for businesses to be able to match the intent, as Elena said, of this kind of young generation who want to be able to combine their career with their values. And we know that nine out of 10 employees want to work for a company that shares their values and claim that they would do that over higher pay. Claim behavior isn't always true. But what a great opportunity by offering the training that those teams need to people who are passionate about having it and saying, look, this is an opportunity for you to spend some time going, investing in an issue that you're interested in, go learn about community organizing, learn about mobilizing people. That's a great value add for your employees. And it brings a huge amount of skill back into the business that a lot of businesses are currently not really equipped to do. What we haven't spoken about, but I think it's one of the crucial elements at Purpose, as far as I got to know, is campaigning and running campaigns. And with that probably goes the question, where do these initiatives around purpose come from? Who drives them? Is it the leadership? We talked about the importance of the vision coming from the top. But then when we go into the roadmap, how does campaigning help? And why is that so important for you guys? Campaigning, I think, is a catch-all term that we use when we're really talking about participatory action, right? So how can we create situations in which people can use their voice, use their own power in order to create change in the world? And sometimes when I'm talking to business leaders, the thing that I have to remind them of or that they slightly forget about is that their workforce is a large group of individuals who can be mobilized and who likely are already mobilized towards an issue area, right? That these are people who live in the world and have stances on different issues and have opinions about these things. And I think for such a long time, it was totally taboo to talk about politics or talk about how you felt about social issues in the workplace. And I think that that line has just been completely obliterated in the last four years. You know, with the twin pillars of Trump in the US and Brexit in the UK, keeping your politics separate from work is nearly impossible to do at this point because the personal is political and it always has been. And so I think when it comes to campaigning, starting with your workforce and really hearing what's bubbling up from the workforce that wants to take on different initiatives and try different things in order to shift issues or create impact on an issue area is a really important place to start. I think when we think about campaigning more broadly, it has a lot of the same criteria as a marketing campaign might do, right? You need to figure out who your audience is. You need to figure out what insight is going to move that audience, what idea is going to really motivate them, that storytelling piece that's really going to connect with them. But where we try to move things on from more traditional advertising or marketing campaigns is in the participatory angle. So very rarely would we want to create a campaign which is just message out to the world But what we instead want is message taken up by people in a way that they can participate, that they can use their own voice, share their own experience, and become a vessel for the message that needs to get out there. I think another thing that's important to recognize with campaigning is often the end consumer, so to speak, isn't actually the audience that you might be talking to. So you are likely mobilizing a group of people in order to draw attention to an issue area so that a decision maker, i.e. 
a government official or the head of a business or whomever it might be will change their tack or take a new position on an issue. So we have to think differently about communications and about flow of information and participation when we're working in that structure because it's not as straightforward as this sort of one-to-one business-to-person relationship. There is this other factor around the decision maker that's important to keep in mind as well. I very much like the idea because it's about influencing. You spoke about who has the power to change things and to just draw the comparison to organization. I think it's always in an organization also important to understand who makes decisions and how do you influence these people. I guess it's also, uh, bottom line from what you said, a good call out to our listeners. It doesn't always have to be the top who needs to take action. Everybody can raise their voice and use, for example, to campaign to rally people around an issue in order to influence people to take a stand to change something. What's the worst advice you've heard around purpose or around starting in an engagement around purpose? I think the worst advice I've ever heard around starting with brand purpose is that you have to wait until everything is perfect before you launch. There is a balancing act. You don't want to be an organization who is unilaterally holding up the fossil fuel industry and then decide, okay, great, let's do a bit of CSR around sustainability and hopefully that'll be fine. Your consumers are not going to buy that. Nobody is going to buy that. But what I hear most often is organizations who are in a relatively okay space already when it comes to brand purpose, when it comes to issue areas, when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, human rights, et cetera. But they want to wait until everything is perfect, until they have gotten to 50-50 equity on their board, until they have resolved every single equal pay issue, until they have completely readdressed every single element of their sustainability strategy. And while I applaud that on the one hand, on the other hand, I go, we're going to be here a while. And maybe if you start activating a brand purpose, that might be the impetus that speeds you along. So it might be the thing that really lights a fire under you in order to make those changes much faster. I'm just still reeling from what a great point that was on transparency and on the journey and on just say the truth. I guess that relates to, I don't know if it's bad advice per se, but I've definitely seen brands having this debate and telling going, oh, I think it'd be fine. Definitely, we want to talk about food waste, we really care about it or whatever your issue is. And there's like a really fundamental problem with their product where it's like, but wait, your product creates much more food waste. This is a fundamental problem for you. And people just being like, yeah, but we really care about it, so we'll think it's fine. That's A, either probably not the right space for us to be in, or B, why don't we look at whether we can solve that problem before we decide that's the right space to be in. And I think that kind of like enthusiasm to get behind an issue when it's probably not the right issue for you is definitely problematic. And it's difficult to be in the room with a lot of passionate people who really care about something and be the person who's going, I don't think that's going to work for you. But we find ourselves, I find myself in that position reasonably often. Which is a really good point, I guess, because it's around authenticity, right? And credibility. So working on purpose related issues, you need to be credible and you need to link it to whatever you do. So you can't talk about carbon neutral transportation and, and the other side producing fuel and fast racing cars or something like that. So it needs to be authentic and credible and fit together, right? It should all fit together. It's a holistic story and, and something you can stand for and talk about without feeling like you're going to get caught out if people dig too deep into what you're actually doing. So what advice would you have given to Burger King before the ad that had just come out? Don't start with that headline. Come on, friends. That's an easy one. 
the thing you have to balance with purpose is the degree to which you are aiming for PR versus the degree to which you're aiming for change. The initiative that Burger King has created is great and can contribute to equity within an industry that is unequal. However, it seems like the desire for PR has outweighed the desire for change. And it has unfortunately completely overshadowed the positive change that they were trying to make. We talked about many things, what the issues are and why organizations have done it well, what they needed to do, what steps are necessary. Anything you want to add, anything that is important to you guys that our listeners should know? I would just say that this stuff's really hard. It's a new space. We're moving into this kind of space where brands are becoming like activists and none of us really know the answers to this. And I I would really encourage that although it's important to avoid mistakes, it's also important not to just have the sort of paralysis of fear of getting things wrong as well. And that getting into it and trying and thinking about these things and having a go. And we know that this is a journey and it's okay to be transparent on that journey. And it's okay to know like, okay, we're not perfect yet, but here's what we're going to try. And here's the direction we're going to travel in. I would really just encourage brands and companies to start somewhere, take a step, get on the road and try things and don't be that scared of whether it's perfect or not. My advice would be that marketing is the start of the journey, not the end. I would love businesses to challenge themselves to go, if we told no one about this, would we still do it? If you can really look yourself in the mirror and go, yeah, we're still going to do this even if we don't get any credit for it. That to me is the mark of an organization that is really, really trying to make the world a better place and improve the quality of life for the billions of people who live on this planet. I think that marketing plays a role. And I don't think that there is anything wrong with talking about the achievements that you have made and the steps that you have taken when it comes to brand purpose and social impact. But I really would encourage businesses to challenge themselves to look at that later on in the journey rather than as the first point in the journey. Organizational purpose is so much more than just a marketing campaign. It can start with that, but it is what your organization stands for, so creating something that is sustainable and consistent. A big thank you to Elena and Laura. It was nice having you on the show. You can find out more about them and their work in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. This podcast was brought to you by Capgemini Invent. We'll see you soon.